This week on the Grimerica Show, the guys chat with Efrain Palermo of PalermoProject.com. Hello, welcome to the first uh, episode of the Grimerica Show. I'm Darren Grimes, and with me is my co-host, Graham. How's it going, Graham? Good, good, Darren. How you, how you doing? Good, good. Excited to finally be uh, off and running here after a, a lot of stumbles along the way. Oh, not that many. It's been pretty good, actually. Yeah, and well, I hate stumbling, but um, I think we finally got it someplace we want it, and um, we're ready to, to talk to you guys here, so here we are. It's been a long time coming. Graham, what's... Uh, I suppose that's, we should talk first about what the main reason we got into podcasting is, and I mean, the website has always always been the precursor to the podcast. That's always been the plan. So why did we get into this, Graham? Why did well, you I've been, get into I've this? Been, yeah. I've been following podcasts for at least five five years now, I guess. Um, all different all different kinds, but what I uh, ended up getting drawn to was my interest in uh, the paranormal and all things strange, UFOs conspiracies consciousness that type of thing and i guess in the back of my head i've always kind of wanted to be able to maybe try try it out myself yeah and like i'm i'm kind of the same path like once i heard podcasting i didn't even like up until a few years ago i didn't even really know podcasting existed but um you know i tried i tried my hand at writing and i still do a bit of writing but i've i've always been more of a talker than a writer so this is more of i guess an easier outlet for me plus i i couldn't turn down the opportunity to talk to talk to people that's that's my main focus is to is to try and talk to as many people as possible yeah and i guess i'd i just like to get more people interested in uh in these sort of uh, fringe topics right not so much mainstream but all these alternative fields um and i listen to so many audiobooks and podcasts and I, so i'm a bit of an audiophile and i just know how uh how learned you can become and how enlightened uh enlightening it is to be able to do that while you're driving or while you're doing the dishes or whatever so yeah so folks you may have to bear with us there could be a few stumbles along the way we'll be kind of learning as we go but um I think we'll do all right. Uh, for those of you who haven't been to the website, it's www.grimerica.com. That's G-R-I-M-E-R-I-C-A. Um, I'm not sure if the new site will be up and running before this comes out, but I guess we'll see. But anyway, go. you can head there. That's the home of the Grimerica show, as well as there's some content. We've got some great bloggers blogging for us. Uh, we're always looking for more, so if you're interested in blogging and looking for a home, you can email us at feedback at grimerica.ca. Um, and you got a couple guests lined up for us? Yeah, yeah. We're going to be talking, well, later on uh, in this episode, we'll be playing our interview with Efrain Palermo of uh, palermoproject.com. Um, he's uh, the fellow who discovered the stains on Mars. Uh, we'll get into a little more on him a bit later. And then we've got um, our next guest will be the mysterious Red Pill Junkie. And uh, I've got a few more lined up after that, but I'm just going to keep them uh, close to the vest until until need be. You might have to tune in next week to find out uh, who's coming. Yeah, we also have some other ideas, like interviewing uh, 
a variety of people, some friends we have and some, some people that we've met that have been on uh, ayahuasca journeys and this whole entheogen keep, thing keeps popping up. So we're going to do some little uh, tidbits of interviews with people that have uh, been on those those journeys. And I might do even do some entheogens. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually I've been thinking about trying mushrooms again. I haven't done them in like 10 years. Or I want to say eight, 8 or 10 years. But every time I did them when I was younger, it was always part of a party. Like, I don't even think I've ever eaten mushrooms and not been getting totally drunk, shit-faced drunk at the same, at the time, same yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd be curious to, like... And my wife likes them, so we might actually, you know, try it. Yeah. Last time I, uh, I think I tried mushrooms, I was also drunk and I couldn't even talk. I remember being around a campfire and I, I couldn't even talk. So, yeah, the other thing we wanted to talk about is uh, I, I have an orb video from a friend that is, to me, I think it's pretty uh, a pretty good video. And then when I was down uh, in Arizona with that video on me, um, I was uh, at the Cathedral Vortex and I took a video of an orb myself up there. So uh, we want to put them on the website too and uh, chat about them. Yeah, we might as well. We'll put them up when the new site's up. Yeah. Right? We're, I don't yeah. think there's any point in putting them. No. I don't want to draw too much attention to the old site. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. No, that's a really good point. Yeah. So, but we'll get them up soon. And, um, so what, what got you interested in, uh, in some of these topics then? Um, I don't know. I suppose maybe I was interested when I was a kid and then I wasn't interested for a while, but, um, uh, getting into the podcasting is sort of what started it off for me. You know what else did though? Kind of was ancient when I, when that ancient aliens came out, that kind of grasped my interest again. Mm. And like, kind of woke up something that was sleeping inside me, and got me reading <laughs> books, and you know, going down rabbit holes on the web, and yeah, going to symposiums. Yeah, it's so interesting how that happens, though. How you, how it, how interests get rekindled. I I went through a similar thing where, in the in 1990, I had a UFO sighting, and then so early mid 90s, I was interested, and then life got in the way, and work and relationships and now my interest has been rekindled too over the last I mean it was always kind of there in the in the background a little bit but but definitely got re rekindled about uh, five six years ago yeah it'd be nice yeah and then well the other thing is I want to keep we're going to try and keep everything as casual as possible we'll do as little um, keep it everything very unscripted even the interviews we want to keep them pretty casual um, you know if we want people to just chat with us. Yeah, conversation style kind of in a way. Not so formal uh, formal interviews. And... So I suppose you, uh, the UFO you saw kind of, well, that, that was back in the 90s? or? Yeah, 1990. Where, where That was in Israel or something? What the fuck were you doing in Israel? I was traveling around uh, Europe and the Middle East. So I was uh, staying in a rooftop hostel in Tel Aviv. So it was probably uh, late summer, early fall. It's funny how I, if I would if it would happen now I'd I document all the details, you know I I don't even have an exact date really. Um, I mean I could might be able to go back and look for like uh, documents that show when I was where. But so um, I was in a rooftop hostel with a bunch of friends and I came up onto the roof um, 
And they were on the other side of the roof, and they're all looking up at the sky and exclaiming, "Oh, we just see this UFO!" Blah blah blah. They're yelling and screaming. So I ran over to them, and I was like, "What's going on?" And they go, "We just saw this UFO, and it did this 90-degree turn in the sky." And I was pissed off, of course. I was like, "Oh my god, I fucking missed this sighting." So I look up, and I was uh, saying, kind of praying or saying, like, "Please come back! Please come back! I wanna, I wanna see it too." And then I spotted something through the clouds. So I was like, is that it? Is that it? And they're like, yeah, that's the exact same thing. And it uh, it was like a three-quarter moon, and it was a polygonal-shaped object, or like a dodecahedron, kind of like a 12-sided dice. Um, and it was split in half, and the halves were rotating against themselves, and the whole thing was spinning slowly on its axis. So there was like two kind of levels of movement to it. And it was I could see the shape of it through the thin haze of clouds, and then when it came out from the clouds, it was crystal clear like the shape. And just silently went across the sky. So it was like about a quarter or a loony at arm's length. I remember at the time thinking, if if there was a 747 in the sky and you could tell it was a 747, like you could see the hump on it, that's kind of how big it seemed to me at the time. Um, pretty big. Yeah. Yeah, it was, oh, it was definitely like a craft. That seems like psyops or black ops. Or... That's kind of what I think too. I mean, I in Israel in the 90, early 90s. But, I mean, how does a thing like that fly, right? When was the Cold War over, 89? 91. 91, yeah. But so it was after the Cold War. Well, I guess Before. it doesn't really matter. Anyways. Shit always you know, seems to be fucked up around there. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's you know, after even after uh, investigating, not investigating, but researching UFO sightings and stuff like that, I still have yet to see many of that shape. I think I saw the sightings, the TV program in 93 or something, and this lady was talking about a sighting with the same shaped object, um, and it was in Israel too. So those are the only two sightings I've heard of of that shaped object, and they were both in Israel. So that's kind of what makes me think of some sort of black project too. Everyone's been talking about that ever, at, since that UFO Congress, or not UFO Congress, the, the thing with the fake senators or the old retired senators and congressmen the, the citizen the hearing citizen hearing yeah and that thing they everyone's been talking about it was i think it was on mu it was on Graylian, and i swear i read it someplace else um about the ufo crash in newfoundland where it was too yeah um, yeah out of the ocean. that's not fucking newfoundland dude but that's shag harbor isn't I shag harbor in newfoundland shag harbor, no shag harbor is in nova scotia Oh yeah, yeah. Unless it's a different site. It, maybe it's I, a different I, yeah, case, if it's but different, it seems it's very crazy. similar. It, yeah, it seems too similar. So oh. I've been meaning to look into that a little further, but yeah. Well, and you had a sighting too, right? Yeah, I had a sighting. It wasn't even that long ago, maybe four years ago. Um, I didn't even I didn't care at the time. Um, I was out back having a puff with my then roommate and his brother and I was just sitting there and I was lying on my back actually in the hot tub I was kind of like sitting back and then I laid back it was like hot and sunny um, the sun was behind the house so it wasn't like shining on us Yeah. but it was still hot it was summer um, so I would say like maybe 4.30, 5 o'clock or something like that so like the sun was still plenty high it was just that we were so close to the house that it wasn't shining on us yeah but i looked up and i seen like a it looked like satellite going across the sky 
that like it just looked like the sun was was glinting off it at just the right angle so i showed the boys and like everyone we all seen it there was three of us and we we're like oh yeah cool and I was like, yeah, it must be satellites. We were watching it because it was like, you know, it was going in a perfectly straight line. almost looked like it was in orbit. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then so, yeah, we were all watching it, and it was like bright. And then all of a sudden the thing just fucked off. Like it was going east to west, which would have made sense, I suppose, because the Earth spins east to west. But then it just fucked off to the north and disappeared. And we were all just like, huh, you know, UFO is cool for like a few days, maybe a week, and then it kind of wore off. It didn't, that, even that didn't rekindle my interest. I was too busy drinking and shit then. Yeah. But, um, and then, but yeah, it was cool, I suppose. The three of us seen it. I don't know what it was. I, I can't say, I suppose it was a UFO by definition, but I don't know, uh, I don't know. It could be a lot of, uh, a number lot, of things. A number of things, yeah. 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 Yeah, I don't like to to pigeonhole myself into any kind of real theory or anything. I'd like to try and keep an open mind and and uh once you've seen something like that, I mean, uh, who knows what it is, right? I can't speculate. I mean, I can speculate, and that's all it is, is speculation of uh I just like thinking about all the different things it can be, but I'm not going to sit there and say that uh this phenomena or Bigfoot or any other strange phenomena is one thing or another. That's totally not my style. Yeah, I never seen a Bigfoot. We could go Bigfoot hunting, man. Just yeah, we should. Yeah. Bigfoot in the mouth. I love that. I love that latest story in Mysterious Universe. So when we say MU on here, it's it's referencing Mysterious Universe. That's like one of our favorite podcasts. Best yeah, quality. Ben and, Best quality ben and Aaron. Yeah. If you're listening to this, Ben and Aaron, we're not. You know, it's not a competition. <laughs> So um, they they were talking about that uh, those Bigfoot hunters there that had found those uh, those recordings they were recording uh, those are fascinating. There's just gonna there's gonna be some stuff coming out I think in uh, in ufology and about Bigfoot pretty soon here. Yeah, I'd like to head up to that. Remember I was telling you like last year that there's a place on that. I don't know who you know the ley lines. The ley lines, yeah, yeah. There's one of those ley lines crossings just over. I don't know. I can't tell exactly where it is. I'd like to get a better map. Like yeah, let's one. do that. Yeah, but it's in somewhere in Alberta or BC, just north, northwest, north, northwest of here. Yeah, we should do that. Um, for those of you who don't know, we broadcast from uh, in and around Calgary, Alberta, which is up in Canada. Um, out of an igloo with <laughs> with Skype, we have internet. So so the Graylian guys are in a bunker and we're in an igloo. <laughs> yeah, we're in an igloo. Yeah, it's it gets cold in here sometimes, but we work regular jobs too. That's another thing you guys should probably know. Um, I don't think we're gonna be uh, a weekly or I don't think we're really gonna have a schedule at all. We're gonna uh, pump these things out as quick as I can, as we can. Like I think we've got six or seven interviews lined up between now in the middle of July but we don't uh, we're not going to try and stick to a schedule yet we're just going to kind of pump them out when they're ready uh, the editing and and all that uh, takes a bit of uh, learning so you might have to bear with us we'll try and get them out as quick as we can as quick as we can make them and uh, it'll probably get a little better with time I'd imagine but on that note I suppose we sh- we could take a quick break uh, take a quick break how's that sound yeah that sounds great all right guys uh, we'll be right back 
And we're back. We're going to uh, chat with Efrain Palermo of palermoproject.com uh, tonight. He's a uh, He's a fairly interesting cat. He's got, if you visit his website, he's up to all, all, kinds, of stuff. all kinds of things nowadays. Um, but the main thing we're, we we wanted to talk to him about is um, his uh, research into into Mars and some stains he found on Mars. Uh, well, because we wanted to do a Mars podcast, right? We were, we were talking about doing it Mars as a topic, and then uh, we thought that would be a good place to start, right? Yeah, that's how kind of how it began. Yeah, and then I was looking for podcasts on Mars to uh, kind of do some research, and I stumbled upon his and uh, looked into a bit of his background, and I couldn't find anything before him talking about these stains. And he does a Mars Anomalies podcast, right? That's what it was called, yeah, I think? Yeah, the Mars Anomalies yeah, podcast. That was a great, great little podcast. Yeah, it was only three episodes, but it was good. And uh, I, I suggest people uh, take a look at it. If you just uh, search Mars Anomalies podcast in your iTunes or your iCatcher or whatever you're using, it's going to pop right up, and I suggest you give it a listen. Um, so he discovered these things back in, uh, I, I don't know if it was the late 90s or the early 2000s, but uh, I know Phil Plate from Astronomy Magazine actually did an article on them uh, just last year or the year before. Um, he's finally talking about them. Of course, there was no credit to Mr. Palermo, but I've uh, we've both read Mr. Palermo's paper, or Ephraim Palermo's paper, dated, I think it's 2001 or 2002 he presented it. But anyway, it, it looks like he could have been right all along, and these things could have been water. Yeah. I like the way he handled it himself and handled the whole situation, though. I mean, he, I mean obviously... You can't help but get a little bit resentful when you put all this effort in, but he he takes it. Uh, he seems like such a nice guy, and he's he seems like he's really just uh, in it for the right reasons, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, while we're talking about Mars, this Mars One shit is getting a little out of hand, wouldn't you say? What do you mean by that? Well, I don't know. It was all a big laugh and joke, and you know, ha ha ha. People are going to Mars. Oh, but, that! Yeah, like, I, and then I just found out the other day that they're. I think I heard on MU, Aaron was saying they're charging forty bucks a head to to register, and they've got almost a hundred thousand registrants. Yeah, what's that? Four, that's four, four million? million bucks. Yeah, for something that's never gonna happen. It's a yeah. scam, dude. I don't know. It's I, a fucking I would know. scam. I'm I would go though. I would. I would pay disappear. the forty bucks. I would pay the forty bucks. Just they got no sponsors. Chance, just on the chance that I may be selected. Actually, well, why don't I you might, go go pay? Your I might 40 do that right now. Go pay your forty bucks right now. Fucking wave goodbye to forty bucks. Give look, me your I'm, forty bucks. I'll sign you up. Look, I'm single. I I can handle being in small spaces for, you know. I was thinking about going on that ten day silent meditation retreat. So if I could do something like that, I'm sure I could sit in a little spacecraft for a couple months. Be tough to podcast. <laughs> yeah. It's a scam, dude. I'm telling you, these guys are just going to disappear and nobody's going to ever see their money again. They got no sponsors. Hmm. It's a scam. You'll see. Have you seen the little picture of the tiny colony they have with all their little pods put together? Yeah. Like, imagine living in those six little pods for... It's fucking crazy. I'll link to that shit in the show notes. And the only I, problem is if, if it was all guys or something, then I, I don't think I'd be able to do it. I would need at least like 50% women. 
Yeah, well, I don't, well, that's only four of you. Oh, really? Yeah, I think they're sending four well, people at a time. Yeah, that's that. I'd almost rather have six or eight. Yeah, it's four, and only if they do send anyone, four people are going because that because I think they said the next four were gonna go like two years later or something. And after two years of these people watching what's happening to these motherfuckers on Mars, nobody's going. People are backing out. Like, guaranteed. Fuck that. I'm out. Three of them are dead already, and the other one's dying. Like, there's no food, dude. What do you do? Anything goes wrong, you're done. Fuck that. You'd go? You want to go? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that brings us, that brings us to, uh, to Palermo and his his chat. Yeah, yeah. Let's. Uh, yeah, we'll pop up. We actually recorded this interview uh, uh, about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. So, uh, Efrain, if you're listening, I'm sorry it took us so long to get it out, but we'll take another two minute can break here and we'll come in with our audio from Efrain, and uh, we'll be back right after the interview. <laughs> special treat for you tonight. We're going to be talking with Ephraim Palermo um, of Palermo Projects. Uh, he's done some interesting research into um, some stains on Mars and some things on Phobos and uh, just an all-around interesting guy. So we thought we'd bring him on tonight and, and have a chat with him. How are you doing tonight, Ephraim? I'm doing great. Thanks. So I guess to start off, how exactly did you come to be uh, interested in these stains and and or what what i guess originally brought you to an interest in mars in general yeah i think you know it's like most people that are interested in science and space is when i was a little kid you know you look up at the stars and you wonder about that stuff i was one of those guys who, wow what's up there you know so I, I, when i was young i wanted to be an astronomer and i got a little <laughs> baby telescope you know i could hardly see through and <laughs> <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, because of my schooling, and we moved around a lot, and I wasn't able to get the, the right credentials, you know, so I didn't become a, a well-known scientist or, you know, anything like that. But so I consider myself like a lay person, you know, lay scientist, amateur astronomer kind of thing. That's nice. So I think you said you said in your Mars Anomalies podcast that you spent, spent over a year looking at pictures to get information for your stains paper. Yeah, that was quite quite a chore. <laughs> Well, the, the thing too, imagine at that time, I was actually using a dial-up. Yeah. So I was looking, <laughs> yeah, so it was like taking a long time, you know, the pictures would come in scrolling, you know, line by line kind of thing. But yeah, I was I was interested, I got more interested in Mars with, with the rover, you know, with the rovers going up there. And uh, and the Mars Global uh, Surveyor was at that time in orbit taking these images. And I found out that NASA was archiving all of the images from you know each orbit that it was doing, so what it would do, it would do like an orbit north to south pole, it would go around. Each time they would change 
little bit. So each, you know, every sequence was different. So each one, and those put in a folder, and these folders sometimes have thousands of images. So yeah. I just started glancing through one, and thought it's interesting because I was at that time I was into anomaly hunting on Mars. Right. Yeah, I was part of a, a Cydonia E group. Uh, it's called Cydonia Yahoo Groups dot com. Yeah. And we would just like chop everything up. Every image was like fair game, you know. <laughs> and uh, but but I was actually involved at that time with Mac Cody. You heard of him? But he was the moderator of that of that E group. Okay. And our thing was was to not just over pixelate an image or try to force an image, but actually try to see what was there. Yeah. And we, and we would do our best to kind of analyze it, break it apart, until finally we could say, well, this is an anomaly. Maybe we can take it further. So with that in mind, you know, I was like really researching Mars at a very detailed level at that time. And you were just kind of doing this in your free time, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I was working full time. You know, at that time I was roofing full time. You know, the roofer <laughs> come home yeah. from the roof to Mars. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's dedication. So, how many hours do you think it took to to put that paper together? I would probably say thousands. I mean, really, yeah. it's like wow. three hours a day, four hours a day. I was up all night doing it, and so and what it was, I started looking at these uh, archives that NASA had. You know, for each orbit of the Mars Global Surveyor. And as I was looking through it, I found an image that had this black streak on it. I thought, that's kind of cool. You know, I asked around in the e-group, you know, on the forum, anybody ever seen these before? No, no idea. Huh. So it was kind of an interesting thing. At that time, it was totally new. Yeah, that's like, and it was definitely, it was worth the time because it's a great read, the paper. I really enjoyed it. And as soon as I found your podcast, I was I was hooked right away. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it must be interesting for you, uh, Growing up liking astronomy as a as a kid, and then seeing uh, all this technology develop, and and you actually being able to like do all this like stuff right from your right from your home. Yeah, yeah, definitely like an armchair astronomer, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, Darren's uh, always had it. You've always had an interest in astronomy, eh, Darren, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I've always been interested in astronomy. If I would have had had better grades, I probably would have would have. If I if I knew if I knew then what I know now. <laughs> I, I probably would have liked to go that route, but yeah. yeah and the thing on the stains too is, I was looking at finding these images. Um, I kept finding more, so I, like to each orbit, I would find each orbit sequence. I would find maybe three images with stains in them. Yeah. So in the next folder, with another orbit sequence, I'll find three or four more images. Oh, and then, uh, at that time, I actually mentioned this to Richard Hoagland. Well, he was part of this E group thing. Yeah. And he suggested that I would actually plot on a map, on a Mars map, where I was finding them. And as I did that, I discovered that all of these things were located 30 degrees north and south of the equator. In other words, they were in the equatorial zone or the warmer part of yeah. Mars. Right. Okay. Yeah. Ah. That's definitely an interesting. Did you actually meet Richard Hoagland? Yeah, yeah. I went to a convention he had in New Mexico. Uh, so I met him in person, and we corresponded quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, I've seen uh, a lot of his work uh, about the face on Mars and and things like that. But um, so, have have you seen any newer pictures since? I think when did the podcast came out in two two thousand and seven? I believe. Yeah, yeah, some time ago. Well, well, here's the thing. Actually, this is kind of interesting. Uh, last year, late last year, I was I subscribed to Astronomy Magazine. 
And in it, they had an article about the stains of Mars. Oh, really? <laughs> Almost like my paper. I was like, really? <laughs> That's the exact same thing. So it's like I wrote to the editor. I said, you know, by the way, just uh, I did this, you know, like maybe 10, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, you know. Yeah. Like, can you throw me a bone or something or give me some? I never put down. Nothing really, Nothing, eh? yeah. Because from I when I was doing some digging on the internet, it seems like you were pretty much one of the first ones to start even looking at the stains. Oh yeah, and and the thing is, I approach it. I, I believe in a scientific way. Okay, so in other words, I was tank. I was looking at every single image of that orbit folder. In other words, from North Pole to South Pole. So I wasn't just looking in the equatorial zone. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So I was looking at every single image. And that's what took so much time because it's like, okay, nothing there, nothing there. Then I see a staying image and I plot it, and I was within that zone. So eventually, you know, I, I plotted over 400 images. With stains in them. With stains in them. So wow. what, what would you say the ratio would be to a picture with a stain in it to the picture that you wait for it to pop up and then it comes up with nothing. Percent, two percent, you know, one percent. I mean, it's really very low. Yeah, I mean, I had to like go to a lot of shafts, you know, to find something. You know, yeah, so. I bet. Yeah, that that <laughs> takes a lot of dedication. I commend you. We still don't know. Nobody still knows what's going on with the stains or. Yeah, well, at, at that time, NASA said there were dust lights. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's it. I was thinking, really? I mean, I don't think so. I mean, what kind of dust does that? And uh, and one thing I did, for example, is I, I, I went and studied, like, Earth landscapes, you know, on this planet, and trying to see something that might be similar to that. And I could not find anything that had a light dust layer exposing a darker dust layer underneath. I mean, there's nothing like that that you can find. But you could find water stains, you know, seepages. Yeah. You know, so it starts from the top of a hill, and then it kind of seeps down and kind of moistens it, so... Well, I guess at that time they weren't even really ready to accept the fact that there was water on Mars, or ever. exactly. Well, at that time, I mean, the the prevalent idea was that Mars, all the water features that you see, all the channels and everything else, was was created by liquid, frozen CO two, carbon dioxide. Mm. That you know there was no water. I mean, these guys are so hydrophobic, right? Yeah. They went extreme to take. <laughs> carbon dioxide. I said, really? I mean, how's that going to happen? Anyway, I presented this paper, my SEEPS paper, at the Mars Society Convention at Stanford University. This is in 2001. Okay. And Yeah, and the presenter before me was Dr. Richard Hoffman, who was a scientist promoting this idea. So I actually, wow. So I sat, sat in an audience, because I was next after him. And there are probably about 10 people in the audience, you know, he did his thing and talking about the triple point of water, you know, how it's impossible for water to be liquid because of all these factors and, and a few people clapped, you know, he went off. And I went on, it's like people started showing up. I mean, I almost filled the auditorium. And uh, then at the end, everybody had all these questions. And as a matter of fact, I got the little thing on the neck, you know, the cane, you know, to get off stage. <laughs> <laughs> But that there was some interest in water on Mars and the CO two concept. So. That must have been a good feeling. Yeah, yeah, great. So yeah, exactly. Now they everyone knows that there's water on Mars, and who knows? Like it seems like it's just a matter of time nowadays until until we find out what exactly what exactly is going on there. Right. Um. Have you? Uh, you must have been right in when the Curiosity rover touched down and all that. That must you must have been stoked for that. 
Oh, yeah. Watch it live. You know, that's very exciting. Yeah. You know, I was hoping they would make it. You know, it's a pretty intricate maneuver they were doing, so I was very happy to see that. Yeah, it's crazy when you think about what's actually going on there. Like, you've got to shoot a rocket from a moving platform to a moving target at where it's going to be in nine months. Right. And so, but Mars has always seemed to be a little bit, a little bit doomed. Like, I think they were saying it's only... It's well well less than half of missions to Mars actually make it. Yeah, especially the Russians were, you know, they, they had some bad luck as well with the Phobos missions. Oh, yeah, Phobos. Yeah, I want to I wanna get into that for sure. Let's take uh, a quick time out, and when we get back, I'd love to, uh, to get into the Phobos chat. Great, sounds good. Okay, we'll be, uh, we'll be right back. And we're back with our talk with Efrain Palermo um, and his Mars research and, and the moons of Mars as well. Graham, I believe you had a, a couple of things you wanted to ask Efrain. Yeah, well, we're still on the Mars topic. Um, before we go to Phobos, I was just thinking, uh, I, I just heard recently from uh, from um, a guy that does silverscreensaucers.com and he was talking about Hollywood and Mars and I found it kind of funny that uh, we were just about to do your interview and he was talking about how Mars um, there's something about Mars in uh, in the movies and in Hollywood where it doesn't really seem to do very well like all the all the deep space uh, ET movies and that type of stuff uh, seems to do a lot better and uh, I just I just hadn't really thought about it like that but when you think about all the the movies um yeah it doesn't seem to do very well and i wondered if that's because uh it's such a visible planet to us like it's this red planet that doesn't look like it's gonna have any life you know have you ever thought about that at all yeah i think what it is is back before we landed on mars before the viking missions and all of that before we had high resolution imaging of mars back in the day with percival lowell you know mars had canals right you know it was a mystery it's like you could have you know Lower thought there was like a blooming, you know, forest that were taken over because they see green patches, had seasons, you know. So the imagination went, wow, well, there must be civilization. We have canals and man-made or alien-made. Yeah. Mars, right. So there's a lot of excitement, and, and at that time, there were a lot of movies about Mars, right? I mean, there's a lot of interest in Mars, or books about Mars. But once we landed, find out it's just a dry piece of rock. Eh, you yeah. know, the imagination just kind of got stepped on, you know. So okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. But with the ETs, we don't know what's out there. Right. That's the imagination. I mean, we haven't found out that the universe is empty, which right. I, know, I know it isn't. I'm sure it isn't. Yeah. But so that leaves room for, you know, movies, ideas, you know, Hollywood, because you can do anything you want because you can't prove it wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's funny. We were actually talking about that today, about how if if they somehow can find that there there used to be intelligent life on Mars, or or they find life on one of these moons like Europa or or Titan, what 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 do you think that would do to the Drake equation? <laughs> well, it's totally just blow it up. I mean, we can find something just locally. Yeah, then I Man, mean, like his equation, I think, you know, had one part. 
that would just add to it. It would just be exponential. Yeah, I mean, I mean, at that point, I think we'd have to accept the fact that life is probably not only not only everywhere in the universe, but probably more a lot more common than we could ever ever imagine. Oh, sure. And then, like, I mean, with some of your work with with Phobos. Um, it seems like it's it's entirely plausible that at one time there was possibly Martians even mining mining the moon. Yeah, because that, that's one thing that I mean it is a scientific fact. The Phobos is either hollow or something a lot lighter in interior than 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 it should be for that size of, of an object, an asteroid. Ah, so ah. if it's hollow, then of course that gives the idea. Well, how did it get hollow? Interesting. Uh, so it could be could have been mined. It could have been used. You know, some conjecture could have been used as a spaceship. Um, I think there's been some science fiction stories that I've read where, uh, you know, people would, would transform, would terraform uh, uh, like an asteroid and use that as, as a living space. Instead of building a spaceship, you just dig one out of a, F an asteroid and you got it made. Oh. And, you know, I wonder if it isn't a coincidence that our moon um, doesn't seem to have the mass that it's supposed to either. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. So... What exactly was it? Was it just your interest of Mars and the stains? Where did you, um, or or what did Phobos? Did the Phobos monolith come first, or or the Mars stains? Well, no, the Mars stains came first, and my Mars anomaly research. And what what it was is that the Mars Global Survey did a flyby of Phobos and took one beautiful high resolution resolution image of Phobos, and I found that in the in the archives, the NASA archives. And I just studied it almost pixel by pixel the way I was doing everything else. I was just used to doing that, you know, right, just like right. zo zooming in. And then that's when I saw this monolithic structure, structure come out. And then I focused in on it. I said, whoa, what is, you know, what is that? And I asked around and all the different groups I was involved with and different people and Hoagland and all these guys. And, and I, no, no one's seen it. And so I did some more research on it. And that's why I got, uh, I got contacted by a, uh, Contacted, I contacted Mark Collado, who at that time was into imaging. He was in, involved in Mars, like the face of Mars and different artifacts of Mars. And he could figure out what it was. And he introduced me to Len Fleming, who was a NASA contractor involved in imaging. So him and me, we kind of like went over it and, and, and studied it. And what we did is, is we actually found out we have the data of the, the exact angle of the camera Focus, looking at it, the angle of the sun, the orbital angle of, of Phobos. So in other words, we can extrapolate from all that information the shadow length, right, how, how tall this thing was. So it wasn't just a little rock. It was almost like 300 feet high. Yeah, like I believe he said uh, 42 stories or yeah. something close to that. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, it's huge. And it just seems strange because there's no other... Like there's not, it's not scattered with rocks or debris or anything like that. It just really sticks out. Mm -hmm. So like, what what could it be? It's it, it really is quite the anomaly. Yeah, and, and and one thing I did too. Again, I'm not like one of these anomaly hunters that just make up stuff, you know. To prove, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so what I did is 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 I actually made a mock-up of it. So I took some sand and kind of made it look like the surface, and I took what I thought would be. So I was trying to recreate that image. Yeah, the effect and the right. shadow. The effect yeah. of the shadows, right? At the same angle, and I took the camera, took the same angle of the picture. So once I had that, 
what I did, then I went on a sideways view. And then you can see that it was actually a big, long structure. Yeah, actually, you've got some, some great pictures of that on your website. It's, it's What is your website, palermoprojects.com? Yeah. Yeah. Singular, yeah. And of course, singular? Sing yeah, yeah. Just project? Okay. And of course, we'll make sure we link to that in the show notes so that everyone can can take a look at your picture and, and read your paper if they haven't done so already, of course. Did your did your experiment come to the same conclusion around the same for the same scale? Yeah, yeah, yeah. same scale, same size. So, so two different angles have come up with the same right. same answer. Yeah, and, and for all boats, you know, it's a very low gravity asteroid or moonlit. You know, for something to be sticking straight up like that on its own, <laughs> you know, that's kind of that's kind of a weird. It is an anomaly. Even if it's a natural structure, it's still quite an anomaly. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and actually, uh, a Buzz Aldrin made reference to it a couple of years ago. Yeah, I've seen that video. Yeah. I've seen that and, video. Yeah, and uh, so I said, wow, he must have, he must have looked at my website because that was the only website. So I emailed him, and you know, by the way, I know you saw this thing. Um, yeah, because when I when I Google Phobos Monolith, your your website's at the top of the list. Yeah. And same with same with Mars Stains, you're at the top of the list for that as well. Oh yeah, yeah. But I'll actually I'll pop in the audio to that to that Buzz Aldrin clip off YouTube and I'll play it for the listeners. Yeah, that's a good idea. Fly by the comets, visit asteroids, visit the moon of Mars. There's a monolith there, a very unusual structure on this little potato-shaped object that, that goes around Mars once in seven hours. When people find out about that, they're going to say, who put that there? Who put that there? Well, uh, the universe put it there. If you choose, God put it there. Yeah, and I think I mentioned to you, too, like just recently, last week, I was watching Asian Aliens, and they're talking about you know, monolithic structures, you know, in rocks. And all of a sudden, it up pops my Phobos monolith. I say, my yeah. So, my God, that's the same, almost the exact same cropping. I mean, they must have taken it from a website, I'm assuming. But, you know, the thing is, is that it's public domain. It's a NASA. I mean, I don't own it. Yeah, exactly. It's NASA gives free will. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I popularized it. I, I researched it. It's out there. I put it out there. But I don't have, you know what I'm saying? I don't, my name's not on it. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's. I'm glad that we were able to get to the bottom of uh, of who found it and have a chat with you. Yeah, I I seen that episode for sure. I'm I'm a big fan of the the Ancient Alien show. It can be a little ridiculous at times, but all in all, it it opens up your mind a little bit. Yeah, and in that case too, they just threw that in as you know everything else. It didn't make any sense really in the context of what they were talking about. But hey, this is monolith on Phobos, you know. Yeah, actually, <laughs> I I think it was the episode before that. The Eric Von Daniken legacy. I'm actually there's a there's a shot in the in there they're scanning the crowd and I'm I'm sitting there at a table. You can oh, see. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just noticed that two weeks ago or something. Because we went that was at the Paradigm Symposium again. Eric Von Daniken was there and and yeah. If you ever have the the chance, it's definitely a conference I'd recommend checking out. I I had a blast over there. Oh, cool. So it's interesting then when you talk about the uh, the the fact that Phobos is lighter and it, may, it might be hollow, and then you have this uh, this mysterious disappearance of uh, of the Russian mm -hmm. Phobos probes. 
Um, I'm I'm more of the conspiratorial type guy out, out of Darren and I, and and so I, it's hard for me to, you know, <clears throat> imagine that there's not something kind of something going on. Really, we've had all these attempts at uh, at getting there, and it just hasn't happened. Um, what are your thoughts on on that? Well, I, I, last year I got interviewed for a Russian documentary about Mars and Phobos, and oh. I tell you, oh, most ninety percent of the questions were about Phobos and the monolith and you know, what happened that the spaceships, the guy shaped spaceship, the image, you know. Yeah. But uh, so my idea actually if, if, is that it would be if this, if it's, if you want to have access to the interior of Phobos, right, and you have a big spaceship, let's say like a dirigible, like a big, right, balloon yeah. thing, you can't land it. So what you do, you go to a mooring post, like a mast, a mooring mast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because then, you know, you have the monolith, then you have this big, Spaceship coming in and just docks at the top of it, and that's how you have interest in it. I mean, that's just an idea, but yeah, no, that's that's. Or maybe it's maybe that the monolith is just the ass end of the of the <laughs> spaceship sticking out. It just oh, drove halfway in. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good. Uh, a good uh, idea. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what? I was actually looking at the picture. I'm not sure if it was one of the ones off your website or if it was I just googled um, Phobos monolith, but in I don't know if you've seen the picture. It's kind of a wider shot, and it shows um, the main monolith is kind of off to the right, mm -hmm. and then there's what either looks like a ravine or a, a hill that's blocking out a lot of the sunlight, and then over just to the left of that, I found what it looked like at almost another little monolith. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I did some of that. Once I found that, I did a bunch of research. I mean, I told you pixel by pixel over the whole frame of the, of the image. And I found what was actually called cuspids. And a cuspid is a tooth-like structure that sticks out of the ground like a rock. But I also found, like, an angle where the point of the monolith is, is directed at. If you follow that line, it's like you said, it's like a little baby monolith, as I call it. A little bit shorter, but it has the same configuration. And then throughout... Phobos, you have all these little rocks sticking out. They're kind of pointy. You know, they're kind of you know, that could be natural, but something to take note of. In, in lieu of everything else that's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It almost seems like a like a landing grid or something. Like you said, if that one big post is that, then there'd be other uh, other things in sort of concentric uh, rings around it, or or at least in line with it. Right, right. Mm. I thought Carl Sagan even was it Carl Sagan that presented the idea that Phobos might have even been a, a spaceship on its own. Yeah, yeah, and then it got captured by, you know, by, by an orbit on Mars. An old desolate spaceship from however long ago, I suppose. Yeah, I, I think a mission, we should plan a mission of, not we, but, you know, NASA or whoever. Yeah, how many how many pictures do we actually have of Phobos? Is that, is well, it? Well, we have that one, actually, that's the best one. We've had some, some since then. But they're, they're not quite as detailed as this one. And actually, the last one I saw, you can actually make out the monolith on it. And it's on, I think Richard Hoagland has it on his website. But you can actually see that it's still, <coughs> because, you know, what makes something real in anomaly hunting is if you can re-image it at a different time with different, different shadows and still see the same structure. Yeah, right. exactly, right. exactly. Could, couldn't they catch that with the Hubble at all? I mean, they got all these deep space pictures with Hubble. They can focus in on these little tiny pinprick uh, areas in space. You think, can't they? Why wouldn't they focus on something like that? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, it could be that 
maybe that part of it is facing towards Mars. You know, it, it might be at, at the wrong angle to, to image. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if it couldn't do to be uh, maybe something to do with exposure time, uh, like the light reflecting off Mars or the Moon. I would imagine would be who knows how many times brighter than the light from a, a distant star. Right, and, and Phobos is a fast-moving object too. I mean, that's, that's right. Yeah. For the Phobos yeah. is what, like a seven-hour orbit or something like that, isn't it? That's really low. And then it's another thing, too. It's in a decaying orbit, so eventually it's going to crash into Mars. Oh. Well, I guess then we'll see what's inside. That's it. <laughs> is, there, is, there a lot of other, is there a lot of other funny-shaped moons like that, or is that... It seems odd to me that it's not... Uh, like most of the other moons you think are, are kind of round, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they're round. It depends on the mass of it. And actually, you know, Phobos is more of an asteroid. And asteroid right, right, right. shape, you know, kind of peanut shape, you know, that kind of thing. And Phobos, what makes it distinct, too, is they have that stickly crater at the end, on the butt end of it. Yeah. The idea of a spaceship idea, because that could have been the exhaust port, you know. Yeah, the thruster. The yeah, right. So yeah, let's talk a little more about the the Russian probe. The was it Phobos one and two? Did they both make it? Yeah, they they went and they died in orbit. I mean, they just totally blanked out. And when one of them before it went off, the last image was a cigar shape, of you know spaceship or whatever it was. As as they was trying to image Phobos, this thing came up and then it went offline. So it's almost like something caught it watching and go zip, zapped it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll link to that picture too. You, that's a, I like that picture. You can see the moon kind of off in the background, and right. it's a good shot. And what do the skeptics say about that one? I wonder. Oh, image glitch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Was it? Russians, you know, Russians didn't do it right. You know, big image glitch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's easy to hate the Russians, right? <laughs> that's always. It's easy to not trust them. The the media makes it really easy to not trust anything coming out of Russia. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> um. So, and then wasn't there, I, I thought I remembered seeing a picture, almost a, a correlating picture that showed a, I, I believe it was a picture of Mars that showed a saucer-shaped shadow or something of the sort. Have you seen that picture? Yes, yes, I have. Yeah, and that was taken as another one of Phobos, one or two images. So it, was, it, would, it, would, it would be assumed that that's a, ref, a, you know, a shadow of the image that is saw in space. Because yeah. it has the same kind of shape. Oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder. So so do you think, uh, sort of taking that topic and, and uh, going a little more big picture with it, do you think there's a uh, any kind of cover-up from NASA or any elite uh, kind of groups of people about any sort of anomalies, whether it's like the dark side of the moon or Phobos or Mars? Well, I, I've thought about that, and here's my feeling about it, is that it's not so much that there's a conspiracy, it's just that they are so conservative. Right. You know what I'm saying? As a scientific community, you know, you, you don't rock the boat. It's consensus. Before yeah. you come up with anything, like, for example, like the water on Mars thing. You know, CO2, oh, that's fine. No water on Mars. But eventually, after preponderance of data and, and, and scientists agreeing with it, then NASA goes, yes, we found water, you know, on Mars. But that's it's old hat. You know, it just takes them so long because they're so careful about not being wrong, you know what I'm saying? They right, don't, right. Kind of, they, what they do is they sandbag stuff. I, yeah, I would, right, right. I would say that. It's not like, oh, we found something, let's hide it. Okay. But I think if we found something, before we show it, let's really prove that that's what it is. 
You right. know what I mean? We're going to put it in a closet. <laughs> so, so I've heard um, some people talk about xenoarchaeology being uh, a possible means for disclosure, right? Disclosure of, uh, you know, that that will the scientific community will open up to the UFO phenomenon and actually taking it seriously and ending the ridicule factor. And I saw a lecture. I think it was Ben McGee at. Uh, at the UFO Congress, and he talked about xenoarchaeology being a valid method of uh, of disclosure, like, you know, helping disclosure happen. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, well, in order for that to be like scientifically okay, you would have to have a PhD in xenoarchaeology. Yeah, yeah. So have to go to school, you know. So by the time that happens, right, it's already been proven that it's out there. So oh, okay. Okay. archaeologists or people like like Michael Cremo, for example, you know, people like uh, like Graham Hancock or these guys that are on the fringe, even though they're scientifically trained. Yeah. Because, but because they're doing something that's a little bit off the beaten path, they kind of like poo poo the way. Yeah. Yeah. They're not well, even allowed to talk at TED anymore. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a sore spot for Graham. Yeah. Actually, I contacted yeah. Graham Hancock about my monolith when I was first researching it, but he was in India at the time doing some research. You couldn't look at it and put any time into it, but I wish you could have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like Graham Hancock stuff. Like I was saying last week, I almost bought one of his books once, <laughs> but I had it in my hand and everything, but the thing was just so damn intimidating, I just couldn't. I was like, I had it, and I was like, oh. yeah, I mean, that thing's like, I think it's almost a thousand pages. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. Well, you know, it begs, you know, it begs the question, like, what would happen if the rover right now, Curiosity, found a bone sticking out of the dirt? Yeah, yeah. What What would happen now? Some people might say, well, they're going to hide that information, right? Yeah. Or they might just say, we don't know what it is. It looks like a bone, but it could be a rock that looks like a bone. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I, mean they, I think they will go more that route. Uh, but I think that's what it's going to take is, is finding artifacts and like even right now with the Martian meteorite you know where they found the bacterial fossilized bacteria yeah in the meteorite even then even though it looks like bacteria it looks like a living ex- extent tissue uh, well it could be anything it could be rocks forming that way you know it's very easy for them for the scientific community to bury it yeah so it, it would really take a lot to to prove them otherwise. The, yeah, there's too many variables. Like uh, I guess I guess the ultimate would be to to stumble a, a, upon some sort of a fossil or something, something that's undeniable evidence that there was at least some sort of life on Mars, and then that could kind of, you know, be the the hole that you kind of poke in the dam. That's it. That's it. Then after that, then you have courses in xenoarchaeology. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what that's what one of the things Ben was saying is he didn't realize how how um, how upsetting it would be like him trying to to lead this the, down this pathway of xenoarchaeology. How upset all the astrobiologists and astrophysicists would be. He thought it would upset. I'm trying to remember what he said, but he thought it would upset the archaeologists on Earth, like the ones that actually study that. But instead, it, they were they were fine with it. It was all the astrobiologists and the astrophysicists. I think I think I got that right, and they're the ones that kind of, you know, he was stepping on their toes. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's going to take a lot. I mean, I you know, the, but the thing is, there's a big public support for for the idea, and not just yeah, some yeah. wacko anomalous. You know, people just. Yeah. I think really the public would yeah. It's a no-brainer. Yeah, it's. I mean, public support is getting is 
bigger and bigger. I mean, and if we could just take a little bit of the defense budget, or not we, I suppose, but the states, and and put it back into space exploration, who knows what could, what we could stumble across. Sure. But back to, uh, actually, maybe we should take uh, another quick break here, and then uh, I'd like to pop back to the streaks for, for a little bit, if you don't mind. Oh, yeah. Love to. My favorite subject. Okay, perfect. <laughs> um, so we'll take a quick break, and we'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back. We're continuing our talk with Ephraim Palmero, uh, Palermo. Sorry. Um, so I, I figure it out. So. Yeah, back to the to the stains real quick. Yeah. Do we do we have a rough idea of what uh, we know? The start locations are always a lot smaller, and they get kind of bigger as they go. Do we have a, a is there a standard size? Or do we know approximately how big it would be? Uh, it seemed from my studies, most of them were pinpoint. You know, it was, or maybe like a few feet or a few meters wide. I mean, oh, and then, really? Yeah, and then it was spread out. And one of the, the theories I had was like, uh, if you can imagine like a water table meeting a, a hillside, and then it's like a, like a spring, you see? So at that point, there's something that maybe a meteorite hit it or something exposed that, that water table. And so then from that point, it started going downhill. Yeah, and you can kind of notice in, in the one picture that uh, where it's the crater that and it's got kind of uh, spots coming down all around it. They're all kind of starting at, at the same level. Exactly, exactly. Now, one idea I had, I had about it was that, because, of course, the idea, you know, the, it, it is true that water cannot be liquid, you know, at that temperature and atmospheric pressure. But if the water has some kind of particle in it, like an antifreeze. Yeah, exactly. Like some kind of briny solution, and that's one of the ideas I had in my paper, and that's something that was said recently from NASA about that the stains that this the water on Mars has some salt in it. Hmm. You see, which lowers the the freezing temperature, which raises the the temperature that we freeze at. Right. So I can't remember. Do we have any color pictures of stains? 
No, you know, all the ones that I, they were all black and white images. Yeah, so even uh, even now there's no new no yeah. new color ones? Yeah, and from what I've seen, it still seems to be kind of a black, gray color. So that leads me to my next question. What do you think of the idea that maybe the, the possibility that maybe the stains could be some sort of an oil? Yeah, let's come up. Uh, well, my, my thought on that is, is any kind of oil liquid that, that's viscous like that, the colder it is, the less it's going to move. The less it's going to move, yeah. So it's like, you know, Mars is pretty good. So it won't even flow. I mean, that's pretty liquidy, kind of a fluid flow, you know, that's coming out of. Uh, one idea that I had, which I think my NASA should take a look into, is that be, if these are water stains, right, and if there are spores on Mars, like, like fungi, that the spores will land on these water areas and actually start growing. And that's what makes gives it that color. Oh yeah, that's a, and yeah, and like even some of the stains are are actually brighter than their than their surroundings, which mm -hmm. makes it just a little more complicated. Right. Any uh, any chance that you're rekindling a a podcast about Mars? Uh, I might. It's, it's kind of a like I my idea was to interview people like you're doing, you know, especially like Mars anomalous, because some of those guys are kind of whacked out, you know. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, but it'd be entertaining, you know, yeah. because it's yeah. their point of view, you know, yeah. Yeah. you know, they have these ideas about Mars and they prove, they're trying to prove it, you know, by, by over pixelating something or drawing it, you know, it's like, you know, there's a dolphin on Mars, giant dolphins or eagles or whatever. Yeah, yeah I get I was, a, I get a kick cut of some of it for sure. <laughs> I was at a, a UFO meetup in Vancouver, and, and uh, Alfred Weber, Weber was there, and he was he was showing us, uh, like, look, there's a you know there's an alien there, right? And on the, and I'm looking, it's like there's a just a, it's a rock, right? <laughs> I was like, I just can't see it. I'm trying, but I thought, is this guy like testing us, or it just it just seems yeah very strange. Like, is this is this for real? Is he like, I, I yeah, disinformation agent, or like, does he really think we're gonna just see an alien in that rock? Oh, it was, it was yeah, bizarre. I think it was Mars. I'm, I'm pretty sure he was. What do you? What are your thoughts on the face on Richard Hoagland's face on Mars? Well, well, here's the thing. I mean, here's what I think. The the original Viking image was a very low resolution image, and it showed the face of Mars. It looked yeah. like a face. He did the, wrote the book on it, and you know, now it got re-imaged by NASA on a high you know higher resolution. And it just showed to be more like just rocks. So there's no face there. Yeah. So, now here's the thing. It's like you, can, you can't go, you can't fight the facts, right? You can't stick to your own theory and say, well, NASA messed up that photo. They retouched it. You know, they messed it up. You know, right. the face is still there. They just kind of, and, and to me, that can kind of mess up your, you know, like how credible you are. If you even right. get the facts, you're still like putting blinders on and go, no. It's or, still the original image. Or they blew it up. Yeah, they blew it up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. There we go. <laughs> yeah, I like uh, it. W it was tough to follow when the when the new pictures came out. It be it became pretty evident to me anyway. I I have the same opinion that yeah. the first pictures were great. If that was ever all we ever seen, it'd be obviously it's a face. I can see why he originally would have thought it would, but at some point you've got to. Uh, you got to cut your losses, I suppose. Exactly. <laughs> but I think I think he's still still now. Is he still saying the face is the face? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just, oh, yeah. 
But yeah, it's, it's hard. I have a hard time imagining how it, it can go from looking so much like a face to so much like not a face. Like it, it's it does it does seem hard in a way for me to imagine that. One thing I noticed though, because I've been the last little while, I've been cruising Google Mars a little bit, oh, yeah. and uh, and I was actually looking at the, at the face on Mars, and and what I noticed right away is it seems more like an island like an ancient island and if you look kind of around those areas there seems like you can almost see ancient coastlines and you can see little parts and you can almost see where the sea level used to be hmm. yeah but yeah. I, I i noticed that right away anyway personally i don't know if that's something you found in your in your vast uh, picture picture well, searching well I'll, I'll leave that sedonia region to hoagland you know yeah <laughs> Cities in there, you know, grid, you know, just tied it all together. That's, that's, that's thing. <laughs> that's probably a pretty smart move. <laughs> <laughs> no, what's yeah, what's... Interesting with, with the stains is because when I plotted them, not only were they equatorial, but there were clusters of them, two main clusters, and the clusters were 180 degrees apart. Ah. See. What do you hypothesize could be the cause? Well, one thing, that's something that, that Hoagland was working on, he called the Mars Tidal Theory. But what could have happened is that it could have an impact, see, on one end, and then sometimes the impact goes through the planet. And it spits out a little bit. On the other end, so there's some kind of a fracture zone through the planet on, on both ends. Yeah, and then on one side, they are right next to um, to the, the crater, too, aren't they? The big crater. I forget yeah, the well, name of it. Oh, the, yeah. Yeah, Hellas Basin, the Hellas Crater. Yeah, the, there it is. He knows. Of course he knows. <laughs> but also Olympus Mons, you know, all those major volcanoes have a lot of water activity along the flank. <laughs> you know, and so that's that's an interesting correlation there. Yeah, I really like that one picture of the stains where it almost looks like it's um, it's going through a split up into canals and everything. Like, it seems like that one's really hard to dispute. Oh, yeah. Uh, one thing that's interesting too is, is at that time one of my my partners was uh, her name was Jill England, and she was a software engineer. And uh, what she did, she actually wrote up this algorithm to search because that was taking it's taking a long time to go to each image on each folder, right? So she wrote a program that would search, like you know, corresponding images. Like I'll find the staying image. We were trying to find what we were trying to do back in two thousand and one. We're trying to find if these things were ancient or if they were recurring in recent time. And we mean recent, like within a year's time. So what she did, she wrote up this program that was finding, if I find this thing image, she would plug in this program and it would find any other image taken at different times of the same area. So we actually found, she actually found two images of stains. And the one you can see, it was like, you know, this big, a little bit bigger. And the other one, you can see it, it was a lot bigger. And this is within this, a, a year's time. Wow. Hmm. So, and that's one of the things that came up in this astronomy magazine article. It's like, oh, yeah, we found that, you know, we're corresponding, you know, images and we can see this. I said, oh, yeah, we did that, like, you know. So, uh, <laughs> 10 years ago, 11 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Were you able to calculate a rate? A rate, say, per, per day or per year or per season? <clears throat> yeah, at that time, we figured it was like uh, maybe like, 20 meters over that period of time, like a year's time, but it's pretty significant. Yeah, so you're talking like a, a few centimeters a day for sure. Yeah, yeah. An inch a day or... Yeah, it's just flowing down. Like a, yeah, so, yeah. 
Did you do, like you built the Phobos monolith, you did a little experiment there. Did you do any uh, experiments with dust or anything like that in relation to the stains? Yeah, what I was doing, what I did was I tried to, I was trying to see what NASA was talking about with dust slides because they were saying that certain kinds of dust, very fine dust, like talcum powder, or like, like cornstarch, for example, dust can flow like water, like a liquid, if it's that fine. So I got some cornstarch, you know, cornstarch, and I got some darker stuff, and I, it, I could never duplicate that effect, of, you know, you 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 hit something and then it exposes a darker layer underneath. I mean, I could not do that. Yeah, and well, the other thing to me would be when when you've got something that's growing, falling at a rate of, of only well twenty meters a year, mm-hmm. you would think a dust slide that is stirring up that much would would be moving a lot faster than that. Yeah, it would be, it would be like a catastrophic flow. I mean, You'd think like 20 meters a second. It's done, right. Yeah, you're not going to see it a year later, a year later, you know, kind of slowly going down. No, yeah, it seems more like a mostly frozen or some mm-hmm. sort of slow-moving liquid or water. Or, it seems to me pretty re- relevant that it's probably something to do with water by this point. Yeah, yeah, so now we seem to go there and land and plant a rover right there on the, on the street there and check it out. <laughs> I'd be curious to know, like, uh, if you were able to compare elevations of start points. Like, is yeah. there a set water table, so to speak? Right. It, it, it's really varied. I mean, they were actually on hillsides or on the inside room of craters, on the inside rim, like, like you said before, which kind of gives the idea of a water table at that level because it was consistent around the same depth into the crater around the whole perimeter. So yeah, I suppose, I guess they say uh, Mars, Mars is no longer volcanically active, but I suppose there could still be enough heat somewhere down there that is driving liquid water to the surface, and it could be just coming out yeah. at such a slow rate that nobody even noticed, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. except for you, of course. <laughs> you know, now, now here's the thing, if they land a rover or something on one of these streaks, and they're looking real close, and they say, wow, it is just dust. Okay, good, you know, my bad. This yeah. me. From, what my, from my day, and I'm not going to fight them and go, yeah. you're lying, you're trying to hide the fact. No, if I'm proving wrong, it's fine. You know, yeah. all I'm saying is let's take a closer look. And that was, yeah. Yeah. that was the end point in my paper that presented at the Mars Society Convention was, all I'm saying is take a look. Well, and if they would have paid attention to that, then they could have went there and clo- and paid a closer look. Like, why did they choose where they where they chose to land? Yeah, the driest, most desert. yeah, yeah. It's so <laughs> weird. Like, yeah. Well, I think what the problem is is like up until the last the last rover, it was more of, of they weren't searching for the coolest place to land. They were searching for the safest easiest, place. Yeah, to yeah, land. yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's because, true. Again, you got to think of all the shit involved and what it takes, and you need to not aim for the mountains or the. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. Well, let me let me tell you, let me tell you guys something. This is gonna be the first time it's gonna be public. Okay. Oh, here we go. Okay. Here we go. So when I saw that astronomy magazine article on my stains, and I wrote to the editor, you know, and that I didn't even get a response. I said, you know, it kind of pissed me off. I said, you know. I know I'm a lay person, I'm not a scientist, I'm not, you know, tenured professor, but, you know, give me a break. You know, I actually did a lot of research that's pretty valid. Why can I, at least something, oh, this amateur, you know, astronomer found this. So what I decided to do, and I haven't, I'm still working on it, is to, is to I'm working on 
a public space program. Oh, really? Run by the people, by the public. Huh. Oh. What I call it is, is the Interplanetary Space Program for Humanity, ISP. Wow. And so what it would be, it would be kind of a crowdsourcing kind of a group effort, you know, of the, the lay people working on this. Yeah. We actually funded ourselves and direct the missions ourselves and have full access to what was found. That's a great idea because yeah, I, I like mean, crowdsourcing is huge nowadays. Right. If Richard I, Greer can get Stephen can get Greer. a million or Stephen Greer, yeah, sorry, can get a million bucks. Right. Well, I don't I think it was about three hundred thousand maybe, but still. Yeah. Yeah, so this is an idea. And one of my first missions, actually I have I wrote a paper on it. It's not public right now, but one of the first missions was to go to Mars and go into one of these skylight caverns. Right, these openings in Mars that open into the ground, and some uh -huh. of the images of them, you can't see the bottom of them. It's totally dark. That's how deep they are. Really, this is—I've never even heard of those before. Yeah, if you Google skylight caverns on Mars, you'll see. And actually, the first one is actually found by I think like a third grader or something. Some some yeah, elementary school kids. You know, they were doing this program of yeah, take a look at these Mars images and see what you can find. And one kid said, what's that little black dot there? And he zoomed into it, and actually it was the discovery of a skylight cavern. So what that is, is an opening into a lava tube underground. Ah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm just looking at so, it right so now. Are you, so are you thinking of a disposable probe then, sort of? Well, it would be, it's just a two-part probe. It would be like a rover, and then it would actually detach, and one part of it would rappel down. Okay. 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 But the thing is, is to go down to the bottom of it, because if there's going to be life on Mars, it's going to be inside the tunnel like that, or yeah. away from the radiation, and it might be water down there, be warmer. I mean, it would be interesting to see to know like the cost difference between doing that and doing like a disposable probe just to land it on the lick on that on the streak. You know, I wonder yeah. if you could just land something on the streak and get some. Oh yeah. Be interesting to know uh, how much information you could get from that. Mm -hmm. You because know, it's one. You're right. It's one of those things. Like, let's do what what's easiest and what's uh, most effective for the information we want to know. Right? Let's find out. Like, go to the go to the place we need to go to. Yeah, yeah. Because right now, if you want NASA to do, you have to go to the committee. You got to get finance. Yeah. You know, you got to run hoops. You know, you got to do this, yeah. that. You know, and by time, you know, it's run by committee, so it probably never get done. Yeah. I mean, even the rover, every every time it takes a step, you know, it's probably like 10, 20 hours, you know, for every little step it takes. You know, so this way, it's like more of a free-flowing, you know, publicly controlled, publicly run space program. Say, hey, let's just land something and then just take a look. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, well, that's the way it should be anyway. I mean, it's it's yeah. our money they're spending anyway. Right, but we don't have any say-so on it. No, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and I guess if nothing else, at least the privatization of some of these, these space programs is a good step, a step in the right direction as well. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and, and one idea we've had about this, actually I was working with this of one of my colleagues, uh, Margaret Morris, and she, she's writing some, some books on it, on, on the moon, and she's like studied Egyptian stuff and, and gotten tied in with uh, geopolymers which is, you know, making rocks, you know, out of form, yeah. Yeah, forming, you know, mixing a material and making a rock-like structure yeah. with it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Anyway, so she contacted me, and, and I started talking. At that time, I was pissed off about this astronomy magazine. You know, I said, Mark, I said, you know, and so we started talking. I said, we need a public space program. And, you know, like you talk about privatization. It's like if you, uh, you either have the government doing it or you have corporations doing it. Yeah. In either case, the guy in between is not going to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 Person is not going to get any of that. So the idea for this is that run by the people, for the people, will find any, any real thing about profit from it. Yeah. It's pure, pure science. Yeah, that's that's like I say, that's a great idea. I'd like to, I'd I'd contribute to that for sure. What do you suppose the reality of something like that? What do you suppose the time frame would be, or what? What kind of what? What would you need to get started? I suppose. Uh, money. Yeah, that's. <laughs> you know, money. But 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 mostly, uh, I think that if I had some some actually, when I was doing, I got I was in contact with some scientists that were interested in it, and I think if it's presented the right way, and if it could be done. So that everyone benefits, and it's not going to be taken over by some corporation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On it, you know, the the biggest hurdle was a, a, a space platform, in order a rocket ship platform. You know, so we have to buy the rocket ship. You know, do this whole thing. But my idea was actually just do the whole thing from scratch. You know, like why do it the old-fashioned way as well? You know, because the thing is, is that if we as a group really put our heads together, we can get away from rocket propel. Ships. Oh yeah, I agree. You know, chemi- you know, chemical propulsion is really kind of all had. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Anyway, so that kind of tied into the Mars thing. So that's something in the works. You know, I, you know, if anyone out is interested, you can email me. Go to my website, and you know, we can pick it up from there. Yeah, for sure. We'll we'll put that in. We'd probably we'd probably love to have you on again when that's a, a little farther along. Yeah, sure. NASA's gone ahead and proven you're right themselves. Right. It was just took them six years to come out and say it. Yeah, so in a way, it was kind of validating for me. Even though my name was not on any of that, of course. Yeah. yeah. But at least I can go, wow, I actually was right. Yeah. You know? yeah. But you didn't but, have doctor in front of your name. Right, exactly. But, and the same thing with the monolith. You know, people, now it's becoming like a public thing. But it's like, I'm sure a lot of people have seen it, that seen it through my website, go, wait, that's Palermo's monolith, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. And I gotta wonder, like, if you would have been, if this would have just been coming out now, with social media and the internet being so much bigger than it was ten or eleven or twelve years ago, how much, how much quicker it could have spread, and then you know you would have actually got a little bit of notoriety for it. Right, right. So yeah, so that, anything can happen now. I have, but I haven't done much research. And you know, once I did that, I mean, I was pretty satisfied with my paper and the research I did, you know, so it, it kind of stood on its own, had its own legs and it's been proving correct. Yeah. Know? Yeah. yeah. So. I agree. Like it's, it's, it's funny to me because I've just read the paper in 2013 mm-hmm. and it just seems kind of silly that it was ever an argument. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. like, cause be, knowing what we know today, it's like, well, yes, they're obviously water. Oh yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, so the water thing and the monolith, they're kind of like pretty standard, you know, not really crazy ideas, you know, I, but I have conjectures about other things, more like science fiction-y, you know, like the Phobos monolith, you know, spacious mooring to it, but, but it's my own, you know, and I'm, I make a, a, a difference between you know, my conjecture yeah, and yeah. my own scientific, you know, I have yeah. both brains like that, you know. Yeah. Like so what, what else you got going on then? So you've got this, uh, 
this great idea about the public program and then what else um, do you have on the go? Well, what I'm working on too is I'm working on, I, I have issues with, you know, going to the subject of Mars, but I have issues with the age of the universe. Uh, being right. 13 billion years. I, I think it's in the trillions of years. And actually, right. and I'm working on that paper on that as well. And I'm, and I'm trying to get some cosmologists to look at it who can be a little bit open-minded and and my thing is the thing about the scientific community is that everyone is kind of like like in, in step. Yeah. You know? In order to get your PhD, you have to like study, and then you have to pass tests. In order to answer the questions, you have to answer them according to whatever is is, is agreed upon. The, the yeah. current paradigm. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So what happens? You kind of get locked into that. So anything outside of that is like unknown. You can't talk. Yeah. You know, you can't you can't do that. So. So I think something needs to be done to shake that up. You know, we're being spoon-fed education. We're not yeah. being taught to think, you know, how, like how did somebody come up with this cosmic theory? You know, yeah, exactly. steps, not just say the universe is 13 billion years old, but how did it actually, you know, no one is, is being made to think it. They're just being told what it is. Yeah, I like that idea a lot, actually, because the other thing I don't think people take into account is, we can only observe light on such a small scale in our own solar system is all we can really use to gauge the speed. So, I mean, we're talking about a force that is not only traveling at a tremendous rate, it's also doubling in size every, you know what I mean? It's, it's the scope it needs to cover is expanding. So at what point does that start to take away from its, its energy force? I guess, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a, a physics major or anything like that, but it's just something like, how do we know that light doesn't slow down eventually? Right. Well, and that's one thing that, in a way, I'm kind of glad I didn't go to the to the standard educational system, you know, to be an astronomer because I would have been locked in in that box. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, you would yeah. you would be just disgusted with the conversation yeah. then. <laughs> yeah, I I read that. Uh, Darren, is that the one that you forwarded me on the the age of the universe? Yeah. Yeah, that was that was fascinating. It makes it makes sense to me. It, it just that. Um, that once it passes you, right, you can't see it. Right. Right. Yeah, it's just such a simple concept, right? That, and it yeah, would have, and it would have had to have passed us at least the age of our Earth ago. So at least four billion years ago, it would have had to go past. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of simple logic, you know, kind of thing. Like a little kid going, "Huh? Well, how does yeah, that?" Yeah, and, you know, that yeah. kind of thinking is yeah. the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing more on that for sure. Yeah. Uh, right now, I'm, I'm working on uh, writing a science fiction novel. Yeah, I seen that on the website. That was the um, Alien. Uh, no, what's the title? Yeah, Alien Cartel. Alien Cartel. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, and actually, in that, I have uh, the face of Mars looking like a face, and it was destroyed by aliens. Oh, so, nice. The spoiler, <laughs> but that's part of the book there. Nice. That's great. Yeah, 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 we'll make sure we link to that in the show notes as well on where people. I think. You had a sample chapter up that people yeah, could read yeah. on the website, so we'll link to that, and Great. and people can have a listen for sure. Other than your website, is there any place else people can track you down? Uh, that's pretty much it. I mean, that's my public, you know. Yeah, you're not on Twitter or anything like that. Yeah. yeah, so, but, you know, my email is on there, and they can check all the different things. And, you know, I have different things I've studied and, and done, like been working on a human-powered helicopter for years. Yeah, I've I seen yeah. that. That looks fun. I know. So it's kind of one of those things too. Like I read about it in 1989. I said I could do, I could do that. 
I haven't done it yet, but I've been working on it. I still have lots of time. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess um, that that should about wrap it up for the night. Yeah. Um, we'd like to to thank you for, for taking the time to talk to us for sure. It's been a, a fascinating conversation. Great. Thank you. And like yeah, I, thank you very much. And, th- and thanks for all the research you've done too. It's uh, fascinating research. Well, yeah. I appreciate you guys, you know, giving me uh, the time of day on it, you know, because I haven't been getting it anyplace else. So. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was a great read. And once, once we heard you, we decided we wanted to have you on right away. So, and like I say, um, we'll keep an eye on the site and hopefully we, we can hear more on the, on these other projects of yours and and uh, have you back on to talk about them in the future or, or maybe if you'd be interested in coming back on maybe when your book launches or something like that uh, we'd be open to that as well right excellent yeah, yeah and maybe we'll see you at the Paradigm Symposium this yeah, uh, October I make that one yeah. sure. <laughs> hey, hey guys good luck on your podcast I think it's going to be great and hey thanks team and it's going to be awesome So that was our chat with Efrain Palermo. Once again, you can find him at www.palermoproject.com. We'll link to him in the show notes as well. You'll be able to find find them at grimerica.ca or grimerica.com. Just go to the website, uh, click on the podcast and blogs tab, click on the Grimerica show, click on this episode one should be at the top of the list or the bottom of the list. <laughs> yep. I'm not sure how that's going to work yet. And uh, we'll have a link to to all uh, Ephraim stuff, his website, a few of the pictures, all the music that uh, you heard. That'll all be in there as well. But how'd you enjoy talking to Ephraim, Graham? Yeah, that was a, that was a great chat. I think he's just a super nice guy and and uh, very open and honest about stuff, and and I like how he uh, decided to share with us about his uh, public space program type thing. I, I've, I've, uh, yeah, really interested in, in that and where that's going to go, or hopefully it'll go somewhere. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait to read uh, read the the paper he sent over. But yeah, that's a great idea. That was a bit of a bombshell. Yeah, broken here. Grimerica's broken its first story. <laughs> so. When the yeah, I read I read the paper and it was pretty fascinating. It was good. When the public yeah. space program's up and running, you guys can remember that Grimerica had it first. <laughs> yeah. So we'd uh, we'd like to thank Efrain once again for coming on. Efrain, it's been great. Come back uh, anytime when uh, either of your new papers are finished. Just shoot us an email, and we'd love to have you back. Uh, being our first guest, you have uh, pretty well a free pass. Whenever you want to come on, you can come on. Yeah, thanks a lot. Um, so uh, speaking of first, I th- I believe next week we'll have the first ever interview with the mysterious red pill junkie of uh, the Fortiana scene. He's a pretty prolific blogger. You can find him on MU and stuff like that. What I believe will be his first uh, first ever podcast. Yep, that'll be uh, that'll be fascinating. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I'm looking forward to talking with you again next week, Graham. Of course. All right. Yep. So uh, bye bye for now, and we'll see you guys next week or the week after. Or we'll see. We'll see you when we see you.